If you've been here with us this year, you know we're, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. Um, and as we do that, that brings us this morning to Mark 11, verses, 20, verses 12 through 25. And it's a very interesting passage with a few thorny issues in it that we're going to deal with this morning. But as we do, I want you to notice something in the text. And that is that Jesus starts, and there's a story about a fig tree. And then there's a story about the temple in the middle of the story about the fig tree. And then he finishes the story about the fig tree. Okay, anytime you're reading scripture and that happens, ding, 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 this is connected. Okay, you need to think this, this is connected. Jesus is trying to make a point here. So let's read the Gospel of Mark this morning together. Mark 11, 12 through 25. It's in your bulletin. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us in the dark, but that you give us your word. Father, I'm grateful for, for your grace, your presence here this morning. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. That you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. And that you would use your word not simply to walk out of here and, and have heard a message. But Lord, use your word to transform our lives and let it begin with my own, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Scary thought. One of the most difficult obstacles for many non-Christians coming to faith in Christ is the lives of believers. It's the lives of believers. And in the same way, many of you are in this room, I would dare to say probably all of you are here this morning because you've seen, you've known believers who've pointed you towards Christ, who've encouraged you in your faith, who've challenged you in whatever way, and who have pointed you to Jesus Christ. I, I recently had lunch with a friend of mine, 
Uh, and he was telling me that in his office, that he works with both believers and unbelievers. And he said the most difficult, meanest, nastiest, most difficult people to work with are the Christians. And he said, if that's all I saw of Christianity, I would never want to follow Jesus. That's a pretty strong indictment. And if you're here today and you're an unbeliever and you're visiting, you're trying to consider these things, look, I ask forgiveness on on behalf of the church for the ways that we haven't lived up to what Christ has called us to be and to do. Um, That's incredible power, isn't it, in our lives? It's incredible power. It matters what we do and who we are. Uh, If you look at the stats, believers get divorced at the same rate as unbelievers. We can be just as materialistic, just as gossipy, just as focused on the things of this world and forgetting about the things of the world to come. That confession we read today uh, was powerful. Um, But the challenge is, as we think through these things, there are many people in the world who call on the name of Jesus, and maybe you believe the right doctrine, and you... Um, go to the right events and you look good on the outside but you don't know Jesus Christ and there's, there's no vital dynamic relationship there where you're filled with the Spirit and so you, you're bearing spiritual fruit for the kingdom of God and people look at you and they say you know what, I, I want to follow Christ I remember the story um, I heard uh, if you know a minister by the name of John Piper he's a pretty famous minister one of the most powerful statements I had heard was, came from his son, who at the time was a non-Christian. And if you know anything about John Piper, he's, he kind of tells it like it is. He's not, um, I think it would be difficult at some level to be in John Piper's house and to not be a Christian. Okay, not, not that he's not a gracious man, but that he's so committed to the gospel. Uh, I think it would be challenging. And... He, I remember he went to college and he was talking with a campus minister at the time. And he said, you know what? I don't believe what my father believes, but he's the best man that I've ever known. That son eventually became a believer. That's a powerful statement. Um, and our lives have incredible impact on other people. And that's weighty and it's challenging. And this morning, I want to look at this text. And I, I want to, there are a couple of details that I, I want to explain so they make sense to us. But I want to drive home one central important point. And that is that just as a healthy tree bears fruit that others eat from its branches and they're blessed by it, the mark, the mark of a Christian is that they bear spiritual fruit. That's it is that our lives are to be characterized by a living relationship with Jesus Christ that changes who we are, that transforms what we love and what we care about and the way we treat people, the way we love our enemies and pray for them. That's it. That's the mark of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, as we look at our text this morning, there are some challenging things that are, are going on here. Okay, Jesus curses this innocent little fig tree um, as he sees that it doesn't have fruit. But the first thing I want you to see is that, as I said, the mark of a Christian is that they bear spiritual fruit. 
Now, Jesus is not, he is not having an irrational outburst here. Okay, it's presented and it looks like in the text that what's happening is Jesus is hungry, he walks up to this fig tree, he demands the impossible for it, it can't satisfy them, and bam, he's mad about it. So I'm going to curse you, fig tree. And then all of us in this room can be like, yeah, I do that too. That's, 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 not, what, that's not what it's about. Okay, Jesus has a bigger point to make than that. One person said it this way. Since the fruit of the fig tree begins to appear about the same time as the leaves, or a little later, the appearance of leaves in full bloom should have indicated that fruit in the form of green figs was already growing. Jesus' actions here have symbolic importance, signifying the hypocrisy of all who have the appearance that they are bearing fruit, but in fact are not. The specific reference, though, is to Israel. Since in the Old Testament, the fig tree often serves as a metaphor for Israel and its standing before God. Jeremiah 8.13 is a good example. When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. Okay, so in other words, this is a visual parable. Guys, if Jesus is God, he knows that it's, that it's not the season for figs. Okay, he's not confused about that. He knows what's going on here. But he wants to teach his disciples a lesson. He wants them to see that as the fig tree is symbolically represents Israel and their relationship before God, that Israel appears to be fruitful. It has leaves, but there's no fruit on the tree. There's no fruit on the tree. Israel was a barren fig tree, and the leaves only covered its nakedness. The magnificence of the temple and its ceremonies hid the fact that Israel had not brought forth the fruit of righteousness demanded by God. The fig tree was meant to be a visual parable to Israel and later to the church, i.e., to us in this room. Just because we look good, because our leaves are large and shiny, does not mean that we are bearing fruit pleasing to God. This is a valuable image for us in our large western churches. Israel, like the fig tree, showed the outward signs of bearing fruit. But those who approached it spiritually hungry found none. Another writer has said, Many readers have been alarmed by this action of Jesus. It seems so severe, but it drives us to one of two conclusions. Either Jesus was callous and cynical in the use of his power or the question of our spiritual fruitfulness is one of immense seriousness which we ignore at our peril okay so um, Tim Keller in his book The Reason for God and you should read it if you haven't it's a great book one of the things he points to in the ministry of Jesus is he says look none of Jesus' miracles were just silly displays of power okay he never turned to the disciples and said look guys I'm going to blow up the tree and did it Okay, he was always connected to something greater than that. Okay, he healed the blind. He raised the dead. He forgave sins. Um, there, were, there were no displays in his life of power for power's sake. It was always about pointing people to the reality of their heart before God, their condition before God, to see who they really were. The problem with Israel um, was that they had all the signs of fruitfulness. But there was no fruit there. There was no life there. For us this morning, I think you can connect the dots, right? 
do we appear to be fruitful, but we're really not? That's a challenge to us as a church at Redeemer. Um, I was grateful for what Michael said wherever he's at, um, that our mission drives things like building a lower warehouse. Right? Because we want to reach people for Christ. We want to equip them to reach the city. And therefore, we want to put things in place like new buildings that can make that happen. Woe to us if we change that order around. Right? Us as a church and, and individuals, are we bearing spiritual fruit? How often says, and I think it's a great, great statement, do we make it easier by our lives? For those around us to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. I think that's what he's getting at here. But I, I want you to notice a few things. Because sometimes we can have a tendency to think that uh, this action by Jesus and his judgment. Sometimes we, we falsely believe that God kind of zaps people. Okay, he, he just irrationally says, okay, I'm going to judge that person. Okay, but I want to show you from this text. That God is a patient, just, merciful God. First, notice that God's judgment falls on the wicked religious leaders. These are the people he's judging, the religious leaders. Look at verse 15 and following. It says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Sometimes I I think we wrongly believe, Hey, the Pharisees were great guys. They were just kind of prideful about it. Right? They were really following God. Their only problem was they... They just were kind of self-righteous, but they thought they were, they were really good. The problem with the Pharisees were they were that, but they were also just unrighteous. Okay, if you look at this text, um, a little bit of history. In that day, when people would come up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to God, they would have to be unblemished. Okay, so if I lived a long way away, and I had an unblemished lamb, and I'm leading this lamb to the slaughter, literally... Um, I don't want to risk him breaking his leg on his way, on the way, or becoming blemished in some way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my money and I'm going to go to Jerusalem where I'm actually going to offer the sacrifice. And as I do that, I'm going to take my money and there are people there that I can buy unblemished sacrifices from. Okay, so that's, that's a normal practice, totally fine. They would go and they would buy the sacrifices. They would offer them to God. Okay, also what they'd have to do is they had to pay a temple tax every year. Okay, for every male or every person older than 20 years old. They had to pay a temple tax. But they could only pay it in the temple money. So the money changers in this text were those who would change foreign currency into the temple money. Okay, and they would do that. What was interesting is there were already plenty of places for this to go on. The Mount of Olives was one of them. Plenty of places to get your money changed, plenty of places to buy the sacrifices. What they did, and I read one place where Caiaphas instituted this, is they decided to start doing that in the temple courts, particularly in the place called the Court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles could come and seek the living God and know the living God and enter into his presence for true worship and life 
in prayer. So as Jesus comes in, he's angered by this. This is the only place in the whole Bible, in the whole ministry of Jesus, where Jesus is violent. So the temple worship, true worship and prayer really matters to him. And he comes in and he drives them out and he overturns. Imagine how physical that would be. Okay, you're sitting out here on game day. For an example, all these tables of t-shirts and whatnot. All of a sudden a guy comes over and just bam. But they're in the temple. Be like somebody doing that in church. And he drives them out. Notice also that it was used as a shortcut. The reason Jesus says he wouldn't let anybody carry anything through the temple is just people were cutting through. They had stuff to do. So they're going to cut through the court of the Gentiles to get where they need to be. The issue here is that Israel, that was supposed to be a light to the nations, if they were to be anything, it was to be set apart. The only thing distinctive about them was that they knew the living God and he was their God. And they were to be a light to the nations. Imagine if you were a Gentile who had come to Jerusalem to seek the living God and to worship Him. I think it would be pretty difficult to pray with the cows mooing and people selling stuff and talking. See, their priorities, they, they didn't matter to them. right? The priority was not on knowing the living God. True worship and prayer. It's on... Big business in the temple. Secondly, when Jesus speaks to them and he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you made it a den of robbers. Look at what they wanted to do in verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Isn't that amazing? Right, here's the Messiah, the long-awaited king, the one they've been waiting for for all these these years. I love that verse in Malachi. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? The Lord himself will come to his temple, but who can withstand his coming? Rhetorical answer, nobody. And he comes to purify his temple, the long-awaited Messiah. And they say, you know what, let's destroy this guy. They don't ask, hey, I wonder if what Jesus is saying is true. Perhaps we should listen to him. That's not what they do, is it? They say, how can we kill him? Their actions are motivated by fear of Jesus' popularity, fear of losing power, whether that's social, economic, or political, and fear of public uprising, in which case the Romans would intervene. The Jewish leaders correctly saw Jesus' act as a challenge to their authority in the most sacred space in the world. Guys, when Jesus judges the fig tree symbolically, and when he goes in and he drives out the temple, this is not, this is not some minor offense that, you know, they left the toilet seat up, and God's zapping them. I mean, this is, this is not, um, relationships do not break apart over toilet seats. Right? They, like, you don't get fired because you use the wrong color post-it notes. I mean, it just does not happen. Okay, this is serious, committed, long-lasting sin. 
where they've rejected Christ. And too often, I think, we attribute righteousness to ourselves or to us as human beings, and we, we attribute unrighteousness to God. But if you remember in the Old Testament, one of my favorite passages when, when God's going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham comes to him. And he says, Lord, Lord, will you save it? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? He says, if there's 50 righteous people, will you save this city? And God says, absolutely, I'll save this city. And he gets that down, I think the final number is 10. God knows what Abraham doesn't know. He knows that there aren't 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so as we, as we look at Jesus' judgment on the Jewish people, on the Jews at the time, there is a point where we have to see God's goodness. It's God's goodness that leads him to judgment. Because there's a point at which when we don't execute proper justice in life, then we are being unrighteous. Do you understand that? And it's not the angry, I hate you kind of a thing. But the, the justice of, that flows out of God's goodness. God's patience, God's kindness to us. Um, when the most important message that people need to hear is set aside to earn a little extra money in the temple, Jesus is rightly angry about it. Okay, so this is not, this is, this is wickedness. Okay, next, notice also that God's judgment comes after hundreds of years of warning. Okay, Isaiah, John's doing the prophets in Sunday school. Isaiah in the 700s before Christ, B.C. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Romans 10. All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Matthew 23. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. And stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Guys, this is God calling his people. Come, let us reason together. Right? Come to me. Jesus says, the smoldering wick I'll never put out. If you're here this morning and you're broken over your sin, come to Jesus. He's the only one who will truly love you and forgive you. Right? But I want you to see in this text that God's judgment is not, it's not irrational. It's not harsh. It comes at the end of repeated rebellion. God, we're going to do whatever we want to do. We don't want you with us. Uh, we want to be all about ourselves. Just a few weeks ago, we had the, the bombing in Boston. Um, and I think that's a good example of, of justice. Right When that happened, the police are hunting these guys down because they, they've committed a crime that they need to be brought to justice over. And that's because they're good. 
And that's because they care about the truth. Do you understand that connection? I hope you follow me. That's the connection I'm trying to make to you. Is that it's because God is good and he is just and he cares about the nations and your friends hearing about Jesus that he doesn't allow hypocrisy to go on. That he brings judgment on Jerusalem. And that's seen, and we see that in the fig tree. Um, So let's hear that warning this morning. Will you hear that warning this morning? It's very dangerous to appear very spiritual. Right, I have a lot of that, a lot of books in that second office over there, but you can have a lot of books and not be committed to the gospel. Specifically to Jesus. So this morning as we come, draw near to Christ. Right, just like those, the fig tree appeared fruitful, but it was not. What about us? What matters most to you today? What are your priorities? What do you care about? Does the truth matter to you? What's most important in your life? Are you a poser, fake, cheap imitation? I have to ask myself those questions too, right? One of the advantages of standing up here and doing what I'm doing is I have to say, boy, there are a lot of ways that I'm those things too. Let's not just feel bad about it. Let's repent and believe the gospel. But I do want to say this morning to those of you who this is not about the strugglers out there. Maybe you're, you're dealing with doubt or you're dealing with fear or you're, you're struggling with sin or whatever it is. This is not about you. Okay? In fact, the fact that you're struggling is a great indication that you're alive and that you know God. Just like dead people, they don't care about health insurance. Right? They're not, they're not worried about, you know, what should I go with? Should I go with a high deductible plan? Or They don't care. They're dead. Right? And if, as a believer, but on the flip side, if you're never wrestling with anything, if your sin never bothers you, if you never wonder about, man, is this really true? Should I give my life to Christ? What am I doing with my time and my money and my stuff? You need to think hard about these things. Think hard about these things. But... For those of you who are struggling, and for those of you who are not, come to Christ and live. This is not about not struggling. To be a Christian is to struggle. I think it's important that we know that. All right, secondly, as we think about that, that spiritual fruit is a mark of the believer. Secondly, spiritual fruitfulness is the byproduct of of a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ that's marked by believing prayer. Okay, fruit is not, it comes out of a real relationship with Christ. Okay, like Jesus said, this is not, hey, God's done his part, saving you. Now you better get going. Okay, he's going to throw you out. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, not one thing. Okay, you can't 
make yourself love Jesus more. You can't make yourself more righteous. You can't grow. That depends on Christ. But what happens is if you're in this room and you've been converted, whether it's here or somewhere else, and you understand that, that Jesus has performed on your behalf, He's done everything it takes to save you. And because of that, He has given you life. And you understand the grace of God. You understand His love for you. That's got to begin to change your life. It changes who you are. It changes your priorities. You can't... You, there's nothing else you can do. You, you will love Christ and want to follow Him. And there is sin and struggle and all that in the midst of it. But... You want to follow Jesus. You want to know him. You want other people to know him. You want to serve in his kingdom. That flows out of a real relationship with him. And apart from him, you can do nothing. But with him, you can do all things. Um, and if, if you believe that he's done that, that he's bled for you, why would you not want to trust him? Why would you not want to follow him? Why would you not want to say, Lord, change me? Okay, I want to talk about this believing prayer for just a moment. And then I'll be done. But that spiritual fruitfulness comes out of that relationship with Christ. And one thing that that looks like is believing prayer. Look at verses 20 and following. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Okay, if you've ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite, if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. Um, there's Napoleon, he has his friend Pedro. And Pedro wants to run for class president. And so Napoleon's advice to him is, when you go in your speech, just say, if you vote for me, all your wildest dreams will come true. Okay? Jesus is not giving the Napoleon Dynamite speech here. Okay? That's not what he's doing. Okay, he's not saying, you know what, because sometimes in the Christian church, and it's important that you hear me on this, it is said and proclaimed and taught that if you just believe hard enough, you will be healed. If you believe hard enough, you'll get that job that you really want. Okay, so it all depends on you. And somehow I'm working as hard as I can not to doubt. Don't doubt, don't doubt, don't doubt. And if I can do that, the power of positive thinking... Jesus will accomplish what I want him to accomplish. Do you see how that's manipulating God? Manipulating him for the stuff I can get from him. He's my genie, rub the lamp, believe hard enough. He gives me what I want. When I was in college um, in Athens, and some of you here may know this person, but uh, I remember there was, a, there was a dad, I was a youth minister, and there was a dad who was sick with cancer. And, and guys, I believed God was going to heal him. I did. I didn't have any doubts about it. I, I believed it. We went over to his house. We laid hands on him. We prayed for him. And I believed that God was going to heal him. He didn't heal him. I wasn't doubting it. But God didn't heal him, and he died. 
And as I look back and I see that in my life, and I see that in many other godly people, um, we know that God has a big plan, has a big purpose that he's accomplishing in this world, that he's bringing new life and redemption to all of creation. And he's done it in your heart, probably. And he's done it in the world. And rather than saying, God, hey, can you get on my program and, and give me all the things I want, God says, guess what? I'll, I'll let you enter into eternal life. And guess what? You get to see all my wildest dreams come true. And you get to enter into that big story of what it is to know and follow Christ. When Jesus talks about, um, if you tell this mountain, be thrown into the sea and, and don't doubt in your heart, it'll be done for you. In Jewish literature, a mountain moving is, is a symbol, it's a metaphor for God doing the impossible, or seemingly impossible. And in the context of this passage, what he's saying is, the fruit that you don't see in the religious leaders of your day, I will make happen in you. If you look to me. Okay, so hear me say, it's not about me not having any doubts in my heart when I pray. Okay? It's a, but there is a big difference between believing prayer and unbelieving prayer. Believing prayer says, Lord, and this is a great place where we see Scripture qualify other Scripture. Okay? God calls us to ask with the right motives. He calls us to ask according to His will. He calls us to look to Him and trust. That's what Jesus is getting at, believing prayer, but trusting in His, his sovereign will. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, He didn't have any doubts. But God said no. There's any other way, let this cup pass from me. God says, nope, there's no other way. So believing prayer looks like coming to your Father and saying, Lord, I want to serve you. Would you grow me in you? Would you make me a person, a man, a woman, a child? High school, middle school students in this room? Would you make me a person who is fruitful for your kingdom? Would you make me a person who honors you? I think there's a big difference in that. And I think a parent-child relationship is a perfect way to think about it. Right? If your kids come to you as a parent, and I hope your desire is, is that they would know the Lord above all else, and they come to you and say, Hey, Mom and Dad, I really need some school supplies. You know, could we get some so that I can do well at school? Every parent's going to go, yes, let's go right now and get some. Right? And sometimes when they say, Mom and Dad, hey, can I have this candy bar? Right? Sometimes we're going to say, absolutely, let's get it. In fact, I'll get one for me too. But sometimes in our wisdom as parents, we say, you know what? You know, it's not good that you have another candy bar after you just ate three other candy bars. We don't need that one. But they come to their parents, they come to their father and their mother. And you know they want to honor you and they ask, isn't that a delight? Isn't that a joy? That's exactly what God is like. When you say, Lord, I want to follow you. And I think this is what I need to follow you. 
But I'm looking to you, I'm trusting in you, trusting your promises, and I pray that you would build this into me, that you would work in me. Would you do that for me? And you trust him as a father. Sometimes the answer is going to be absolutely yes, and sometimes it's going to be no. Sometimes it'll be wait. Okay, but that's a lot different than unbelieving prayer, which is like asking a friend for advice, and you sit down at lunch, and you don't listen to anything they say. It's to say, Lord, I guess I'll pray about this, but I know you're not going to do anything anyway, so here it is. And if we do have doubts in our heart, you know what we do? We say, Lord, I do doubt, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. There's a great song, this one, that I want to quote. It's called Awake My Soul. It says, I trust no other source or name. Nowhere else can I hide. Because this grace gives me fear. And this grace draws me near. And all that it asks, it provides. It's not a, hey God, you've done your part. I'm trying not to screw it up here. But the God who redeems you is also the God who's going to be with you. That we might bear spiritual fruit. So don't be discouraged this morning. If you look at your life today and you say, you know what, I'm an absolute hypocrite. Guess what? Jesus came to die for hypocrites. If you look at your life this morning and you see your need for Jesus, come to him. That's the whole point of what we're about as a church at Redeemer. People coming to know Jesus Christ. And I close with this story. I told the students this um, last week. But I grew up in in Waycross. Many of you know that. But there was a couple who used to work in our youth ministry. Um, And their names were Jack and Ann Couch. And they are not famous. Um, Never going to be famous. Uh, They weren't rich. They weren't... There was nothing about them that you would say, you know what? They are going to have incredible impact on a whole generation of students who come out of this youth group. But you know what they did? They loved Jesus and they loved us. And we could look at their lives and we could see spiritual fruit. They were coming back from, I think, LaGrange a couple years ago. They got in a car wreck and she was killed. The wife was killed and, and I got, I was honored to speak at her funeral and as I think about their lives guys it's, it is not the conference speaker who has the most impact in this world it's just not it's, it's the mom in here who loves your kids it's the person in here who goes to work every day and says you know what Lord I may hate my job today but I want to honor you and I want the people here to see that you love me and that you're for me it's the person who does their work to the glory of God, is a parent to the glory of God, and says, Lord, I don't know how in the world you can make my life useful to you. But I want you to do it if you will do it. That's what matters. That's what matters for you in this room, and I hope that you believe that. Because you students who are in elementary school, you students who are in middle school and high school, if you will live for Jesus, you have an amazing impact. I teach at a high school, and I can talk up and down the street all day long about Jesus. And 
But if they see one of their peers follow Christ, that will make the impact. You business people, teachers, whatever you do in this room, pray that God will use you to bear spiritual fruit and see the amazing things he can do through you. Because as I said, one of the greatest encouragements, perhaps the most, is when they look at believers and they say, man, you're different, and I want to be like you. Think about that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace this morning. We thank you that you love us. Lord, I pray that we would not leave discouraged this morning, but encouraged. That we long to bear fruit because we know your love for us and we want to love you and follow you. Lord, thanks for each person in this room. You know how much we all need you and pray that you would make our lives something that glorifies you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in Christ's name. Amen.